And a very good morning. I hope we're live. I think we're live. Technical issues are plenty this morning. I think Matt Dunn's struggling with his microphone. So when, when, it, when it comes to it, Matt, you better make sure it's worthwhile, all that technical engineering to, to make it work. Every word counts, Matt. Every word counts. Uh, and I'm also joined by Jeremy Cross, Chief Sports Writer at the Daily Star. Great to have you with us, Jezza. Uh, Andy Dunn, Chief uh, Sports Writer at the Daily Mirror. And Matt Dunn, well, football aficionado at the Daily Express. Delighted that you can join us for this week's uh, Football Digest show. Uh, a pleasure to have you on board. And let's hope it's much more pleasurable than the experience I had, actually, uh, uh, sitting near Matt, Matt Dunn, so that made it entertaining, last night at Selhurst Park. Um, and Man United, um, at their latest goalish draw. Uh, uh, I have to say, it probably puts a different context on Man United. Man United season, yes, they're still sitting pretty in second place in the Premier League, but it's now 14 points behind Manchester City. Four hours and 45 minutes. I got my calculator out last night. Um, since they last scored a goal, three goalless draws in a row. Um, Matt, you were there. Let's start with you. What, what did that tell us last night? What has this week told us um, about Manchester United and where they are in terms of... Uh, under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, where their progress is, where they're going. Well, I'll tell you what it did tell, it told me last night is they may have been wearing barcodes up and down their shirts and shorts, but but if there's a trades description act, people describing them as title challenges a few weeks ago will have a few questions to answer. But they're clearly miles away from where they need to be, uh, for, from where Man City are at the moment, uh, and with no uh, money available in the summer which is the soundings coming out this week, that they're going to remain miles away. Uh, it was tepid. It was poor. Rashford was off his game. It wasn't that he wasn't trying. It just just seemed bereft of any ideas or inspiration. It's one of those where the ball was running under his foot and going out to touch and simple overlap passes uh, for Luke Shaw were just going over the goal line. It was that kind of night and there was no one else there taking up the, the, the mantle for United. Uh, and it was so nil-nil, you know, like you say, four hours and 45 minutes. It's, I'll tell you what, though, it'll take nil-nil on Sunday. Mm, yes, very good point, because it is the Manchester derby, isn't it? I mean, it's just what a huge game that is. And we talk about the sort of kind of uh, the, the mind the gap, if you like, between City and United right now. And um, it's, well, I mean, let, let's see. Let's see what the reality is then, Jeremy. I mean, do, I do think that sort of kind of that might be a very revealing game at the Etihad, don't you think? Yeah, well, it'll be, it'll be first v second and the gap. I mean, it's hard to believe that United are the second best team in, in the country, really. I mean, I've seen a lot of United this season. I mean, they were top of the league. When was it? November? Towards the end January. of January. January, yeah. Someone, yeah. someone, someone told me was we point in January. Listen, that might be a play on kind of, you know, yeah. teams in hand and what have you. And briefly, but it was as recent as Jan. So yeah, they are. They are like Matt says. They are light years behind City, who are. Mm. I think we'll come on to them later. But they are who are an exceptional team. So, you know, there's no shame in you know, sort of trailing in the dust of City. I mean, everyone's doing that this season. But for a club the size of Man United, they 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 should be measuring themselves themselves against City. They should be winning titles. They've not won a title since 2013. And the, it was amazing. I don't know if you can remember, but back then that was Fergie's last year, and they were um, 
how they won the title that year, I don't know, because they were a very mediocre side. So, mm. you know, you know, they they need they need strengthening um in the summer. They need a a top class centre back, I think, with pace. I don't think they've got enough pace in their defence, especially in the middle. Uh, and they need probably two world-class midfielders. I mean, the likes of Matic and um, and Fred and McTominay aren't going aren't gonna to boss gay the biggest games of a season. They're not good enough in my... I mean, they're, look, they're, they're decent players, you know, but, but they're not title-winning midfielders that you need if you want to win the big prizes. So they've got a lot of ground to make up on City. And the problem you've got is ultimately that, I think we've said this before on previous shows, that City are probably going to dominate for the foreseeable now. So... You know, it's a it's a big challenge. They're treading water essentially. I think that's that's the good way to describe them at the minute. Yeah, Andy. The, I mean, it, it was Rashford's forty fourth game of the season for Club and Country last night. Mm. I mean, we, we all love Marcus Rashford, not just for what he does on the pitch, but off it. But I have to say, there was a moment in the second half when when Harry Maguire balled him out for for failing to to run back um, and get himself on side. And it just struck me in that moment, you know, he's too knackered to run back. Yeah. Like, you yeah. know, I know, I know we sort of almost feel like I'm making excuses for, you know, you the, 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 the nation's favourite footballing son, of which I'm I'm definitely, you know, one of the founder members. But they, they're really lacking up top, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's... I mean, a few things on that, John. I mean, it, it's great this season. I mean, in the unique circumstances, we're being treated to the... Wit and wisdom of Harry Maguire, it seems, in most games, isn't it? it, it you know, yeah. I'm, I'm, I had a few choice words to, I think it was Jonathan Moss in, in, in one game I watched, and um, him being one of the loudest, he tends to make, you know, people seem to be fascinated, don't they, by what these footballers are saying. Of course, what they're saying isn't any level above what you'll hear down on the park on a Sunday morning. Him um, urging Rashford to not run onside or to run back from being offside, and um, apparently Marcus replying in there. Um, in fairly blunt terms, you know. So it's. <laughs> I didn't um, hear that, that bit. I mean, no, I, I didn't I, hear I that have, bit either. Have, I mean, I mean, I, 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 according to to some reports, of course, he 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 replied to him calling him something head, you know. And I always thought his name was Slabhead, but I don't know whether <laughs> I didn't realise. <laughs> I didn't, didn't realise realize that Marcus didn't even realize, have to swear. Well, no, no, I mean, he, I mean, neither, neither. <laughs> and I, I didn't know, as 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 we all know, Harry Maguire's called Slabhead. I didn't realise that Slabhead began with a K. <laughs> but it clearly does. Um, anyway, good. we digress. But well, yeah. Listen, Rashford. I mean, I don't really buy into the tired stuff personally. I mean, I saw that that statistic that he's played forty. Well, forty-one games for his club, isn't it? I think forty-four, mm-hmm. if you include the England appearances. Um, Which I do. And yes, he may be a little bit fatigued. I'm not sure. But what I do know is Marcus Rashford, on the balance of his form over the last dozen or so games, you know, and sporadically he's been good in those games. Mm. Um, but I think on the balance of his form, he's been slightly disappointing. And I think United fans will tell you that, that, that they don't think at the moment that Solskjaer is getting the best out of his attacking options. And I think that's a really big thing for Solskjaer at the moment. I, I genuinely think that he's in a situation now where, you know, last night, as soon as you put social media on after the game, it was, you know, the hashtag Ole Out was, Ole out was, was there again. And it's, it is literally in, out, in, out, in, out. You know, I mean, he, he, but, I think we all assume that he's got, um, he's, he's had the confidence, the votes of confidence. He's had the confidence of the board. But I do think now if, if he wants to let slip a top four position with 11 Premier League games to go, 
in the standard of this particular, take away Manchester City and the rest are much of a muchness. If he was to let that slip, then I think that would be fatal for his job. I really do. I, I, you know, there's no way they can not have Champions League next year. It looked a formality not long ago. Well, you mentioned about not longer where they were. Well, I'll tell you, 10 games ago, after 17 games, there were seven points clear of Manchester City after 17 games. I mean, City had played two games less, but they were seven points behind. Since then, of course, City have won every game. Um, United haven't. And in, in a 10-game spin around, they're now 14 points behind, haven't been seven points ahead. So that's how dramatic it's been. And I, I honestly think that, it, it, you know, Solskjaer, I, th- I think he's probably got a lot of goodwill from, from us, from from United fans, from players. Uh, he comes across, I think, really well. I, th- I think I think he's he's an honest, likeable guy. I think his team's played some decent stuff this year. Mm. But I do think that if you've got um, a selection of attacking mm. talent that includes Greenwood, Martial, Rashford, Cavani, um, and if you throw sort of Fernandez in, into that mix, then you should be getting better. You should be doing better than going, you know, 445 minutes w- without a league goal. And I really do think the pressure is now on him for these remaining 11 games, assuming they don't win on, on Sunday at the head and isn't they might well do. I mean, you know, we were probably there when when they won that, that famous game, when they came back from 2-0 down to win that game. Um, you can't see that sort of performance now out of them, but they might do. You know, they, listen, their they, they, the away record is very good. But then he would have 10 games left. And, and I do think it's, you know, it, it is going to be a crucial end to the season for Solskjaer. And... Then you start looking at other aspects of of, of the team. The, the 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 switching round of De Gea and Henderson. You know what does that say about his his, his management um, um, skills? His his decisiveness. You know that maybe hasn't been played too well this season. We then start looking at Van der Beek and you know wondering what on earth this has all been about. You know, surely a guy who who is one of the most um, you know uh, promising young talents in Europe, and he and he's basically being sidelined at United having only just joined so I do think that we're looking at a situation now where these last couple of months of the season are absolutely crucial for Solskjaer if he doesn't finish top four I still think they'll probably will sneak top four but mm. if he doesn't finish top sneak four it. in this you see, well, it's interesting you say sneak Andy because you know they're, they're second and, and they're, they, really, they are second it shouldn't and, be about and, sneaking it should it no, it, it shouldn't, but they do have, you know, I, I mean, at the moment, they're what? They're, they're 50 points from 27 games. It just shows mm. you really what the standard below City is a little bit disappointing mm. this season. 50 points from 27 games, that works out wide, just under two points a game. You're probably looking at an average that will give you about 70 points for the season, which is okay. But, you know, it's not world-beating. And the fact of the matter is, is, is that you would expect, and obviously tonight's game, Chelsea at Liverpool will be crucial, but you would expect... Chelsea to, you know, have a decent end to the season. You wouldn't expect Liverpool to carry on, you know, now that they've probably got a bit of confidence back after that win at Bramall Lane on Sunday. Um, the only thing I would say is, is that then of the other interlopers, so to speak, you know, Leicester and Villa have been showing signs of, mm-hmm. um, of weakness. I mean, clearly Leicester have squad issues. Um, and can Tottenham go on the sort of run that can get them in there? Can Everton you know, maintain something. I don't know. I think United will, will just hang on. But at the moment, John, their form just isn't good enough. No, attacking form is poor. When you think about it, we're talking about United finishing second and probably a lot of people at the club would consider that to be a satisfying season. Well, that's... Yeah. Mm. I mean, the, you're talking about Man United, one of the biggest clubs mm. in the world, being happy with finishing second place in the league. It's just not good enough. No, How do they address that? Because the biggest thing for me is a centre-forward. 
I mean, it, it, it even made a difference. I didn't think Cavani played particularly well last night, but actually what he gave them in comparison to Sunday at Chelsea was be a focal point, a movement. And even though they didn't finish, it gave them attacking options and they were far more dangerous going forward, even though obviously they didn't score. But it just struck me is they absolutely crying out for centre forward. Yeah, they look, Cavani is a short term fix, isn't he? He'll probably yeah. stay again next season and be a cameo player. And I like him. He's still he's I've been remarkable Nick, you know, fitness wise for his age. Yeah. He's, he's well into his thirties now and you know, he will he will score goals, but he's not a, the long-term solution. And when you look around, you know, look, it's so difficult, isn't it, finding a a striker who can win you trophies, who can score you 35 goals in a season. And I suppose the one everyone's talking about is Haaland, isn't it? You know, yeah, yeah. he's close to Solskjaer. They know each other well. Um, they've kept in touch with each other. He was asked about him the other week and he didn't rule out going for him. Um, so we all wrote stories on the back of that. But, you know, if you're Haaland, you can you're probably gonna this summer be able to choose whichever mm. club you want to go to. And um colleague of ours, Dave McDonald, did a good piece with Andy Cole in the week where Cole was saying that, you know, are United as an attractive option as they used to be? And they're not. So, you know, will he would he if you had a choice going to, to Man United or Man City, it's a no-brainer, isn't it? If you're Haaland, you'd go to City. Mm. Oh, sure. But Matt, how do you see the Manchester Derby playing out this weekend because it does feel like I mean every Manchester Derby is big now you know they've always been such rivals but it's it feels like a bit of a barometer really as to, as to where we are because we, we reach a point don't we that you know if they go 17 clear then that's really embarrassing isn't it for the rest yeah it's embarrassing but I don't know what anyone at Manchester United is going to do about it I mean they um, were so far off it yesterday that you can just see City just waiting their time. If they were strong defensive, if they, yeah, th- three back-to-back clean sheets, Ole pointed out uh, yesterday, which I don't think quite caught the mood. But, uh, you know, if, if that was based on some great defending, you, you'd say, well, perhaps they might nick one and whatever. But there's nothing about that defence that, that says that City aren't going to rip them to shreds on Sunday. Um I think it's going to be a turkey shoot, to be honest. And, uh, you know, City could run run out two or three, four even uh, against United at the moment with the form they're in. Uh, and, you know, United have shown they're powerless to do anything to come back at that. And that's what could be embarrassing is, is the, the manner of the defeat, not, not the 17 points, because they've been 17 points off the title for the last couple of years. It's the, uh, you know, it'll be the manner of such a heavy defeat against a team that's supposed to be challenging. Mm, no, I totally agree. Let, let's look at Man City in, in the shake-up of that. And it says here in this excellent running order put, put forward by Jeremy that um, uh, we're running out of superlatives. We certainly are. Uh, 21 straight wins, 28 games unbeaten and 15 or 14 points clear now. Um, are they the greatest team English football has ever seen? Could make a song out of that. Bookies have started playing out already. Now, I, I, where are they in, in the pantheon of, of, of great uh, English teams or in, teams that English football has seen in the last few years, guys? Well, um, well sorry, sorry, go on, Jess. No, I was just, look, I was, it was funny because I said, I said that on the running order because we were at the game on Tuesday night and um, towards the end when they, um, they, won, they ran out comfortable, and is in the end, <laughs> scoring three goals in the last 10 minutes, but... 
we were just looking at each other in a press box saying to each other, what is the left to write about City in terms of how good they are? You know, we'd literally run out of brilliant things to say about how sensational they've been. Well, it's, I don't know, it's a debate that can go on forever, isn't it? Mm. Who is the greatest side? I mean, you could argue Arsenal, the Invincibles who never lost a game. That's one hell of an achievement. Um, the United side in 99 that won the treble. I mean, we'll find out, won't we, in the next few weeks, simply because they're still on for the quadruple. It's not out of the question that they could do it. Mm. Um, and if they do do it, obviously it ends mm. the debate once and for all. But we'll, I was leaving the game, actually, with um, a colleague and we were discussing the fact that if they end up maybe with just two trophies this season, I mean, they've got one already, haven't they? And they're going to win the league, obviously. But you'd probably think, what a disappointing season it's been. You know, they've only won two trophies and that's the measure of how good they are, really. You know, most teams are kill for winning two trophies in one season. But if they if they don't if they don't win at least three this season, I think it'll be a bit of an anticlimax. So, you know, we'll find out how good they are. Um, what's so funny? <laughs> no, it just is it, it, like, you know, if they don't win at least three, it'll yeah. be a bit of an anti I totally get where you're coming from. But what does that say well, about the rest? I mean. it's, you know, it's, the rest it's is amazing. It? It's you amazing. Know, but yeah. they are—they're unstoppable. They are that good, aren't they? They're unstoppable. They can make five or six changes every game, and they're not weakened. They—we've said this before. They have such a massive squad of of wonderful players. And that's Mark. That's been the difference this season. They've been lucky with injuries. I know that they've 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 not had too many serious injuries, unlike their rivals. So. You know that's that's played a part, but yeah, they are they're a supreme side, probably the best side in Europe at the minute. But I mean, you know, they have got to win the Champions League. Yeah. That is yeah. that is the ultimate test of a team winning the Champions League, and this is a wonderful chance them to do it this season. If they don't do it, it'll be another crushing blow. Yeah, I mean, they've got to win something. Clearly, you know, you can't even begin begin to even talk about them as being amongst the greatest ever teams. You know, when they when they haven't made it yet this season, obviously they're going to win the league, and and you would have them as favourites to be. You'd have favourites to be City. Sorry, go on. Yeah. Well, no, I was just going to say when you say that, you you mean they're a different team now, don't you? From the back to back teams, you know, of a, yes. of, of a couple of years ago, it's a different generation, isn't it? You know, sort yes. of thing, really. Just just to qualify. Absolutely, absolutely, it's a changed mm. team. You, you know, it, it's an evolving team. It's a team yep. essentially without Aguero, although you know he, he didn't play on on Saturday. The game I was at, look, miles off the pace. You know, it's a game without Aguero, without Silva, without company. Yes, look, the, the team's evolved. There's, the, the, there's no mm. doubt about that. And of course, you've had that hiatus. Where they were comprehensively second best to Liverpool last season, so you know this is a different team to that extent. Um, yeah. And obviously, they need to win some. They will win the league. You would back them to beat Spurs in the Carabao Cup final, um, and then you know see how, what happens in the FA Cup and, and and obviously the Champions League. You know they can't be classed as one of the greatest ever teams without winning the European Cup. So um, that's that. And also maybe. To, to be devil's advocate just a little bit, you know, rather than a, 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 a huge city um, loving. The more I look at it now at the moment, this the Premier League, the more I'm looking at teams going to Manchester City or facing Manchester City and basically just giving up the game before they start. You know, I mean, that that is that sounds harsh and I, it pro- I probably don't exactly mean giving it up, but basically talking or looking in terms 
going out there and maybe going a goal down and then not even then sort of attempting to get back into the game or being more adventurous until late on. It's mm. that basically it's Manchester City versus most weeks it is Manchester City versus a damage limitation eleven is what's mm. being sent out there to face them. I don't think that can't afford to be Solskjaer can't afford for that to be the case on Sunday. He's got to go there and win for you know for obvious matters. United a huge club and, and huge local rivals. The same when Liverpool plays City. But I do get the impression that, 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 that literally City are facing teams now and they are presented with a challenge of, of, of beating a team that actually isn't there to try and beat them. It, essentially, it would be nice if they bid, did beat them. It would be nice yeah. if they nicked a goal on the break. Like West Ham probably had a couple of chances. They might have nicked something on Saturday. It would be nice if they nicked a goal on the break. It would be nice if they scored a couple of goals with only 20% of possession. It would be nice if they nicked one from a set piece like Wolves did. But essentially, they're facing City now thinking, you know what? We have much more winnable, meaningful challenges ahead of us. You know, we're not going to win the league. So, you know, leave them be as they are, City. Let's just get out of this game with hopefully not many injuries, hopefully not getting tonked 8-0. And I think that does put a different complexion on the, on the whole thing. And that's the way, you know, I think it's an unusual season in that sense. I think that, that's always happened, but I think it's happening more so now. Having said all that, and of course, the other caveat, as Jeremy's referred to, is they've got an incredible squad. An incredible squad. And while, while you look around most other squads, well, quite a few of the squads, I wouldn't say most, you know, players are suffering, you know, a lot of injuries. You know, I mean, City, apart from obviously Aguero is returning from his injury, De Bruyne had a bit of a layoff. And obviously Nathan Ake, who, who most people have forgotten, actually signed for them in the first place. Um, it, it's like, you know, they, they've been really fortunate with, with injuries. And again, that might not just be fortunate, you know, because they've got such a big cast. They're making five, six, seven changes a game. You know, mm. players are players are being kept fresh. They're being kept fit. So you know that's you, you've got to pay tribute to them for that. And also, then the good thing from Guardiola is that he somehow motivates these players just incredibly. Like guys who are who are being rotated come in and, and absolutely, you know, their, their 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 pressing game, their commitment is just second to none. And Je- I, mean, I wasn't there, but I'm sure Jeremy saw it against. What, what on, was interesting on, on night, is uh, that they're still flying at, at, at lot teams, like you know, late on the three-one up. What was interesting on Tuesday was Wolves basically couldn't get out of their own half in the in the first half, <laughs> and it was one 0 an own goal granted. But you just thought, you thought well, you can start writing your match report now. Yeah, half time. But this is no, there's no way this result is going to be anything other than City win. Yeah. So there we were, and then um, the world sort of stopped, turned on its axis because Wolves somehow managed to go from Cody's first in three years. Yeah. And it actually, going back to what Dunny said about teams lying down and dying when they go there, Wolves had a good spell then after it gave them belief mm. that they could get something and even win it. And they had a couple of chances, Trari missed a chance and Neto missed a chance. And you thought, oh, crikey, they, they could win this Wolves. Yes. And then City just flicked. It was like a switch was being flicked. They just went mad and scored three times in about 10 minutes to win the game mm. 4-1 in the end. And it was such a... It was a bit of flattering at the, at the scoreline mm. at the end. Um, for all intents and purposes, it looked like it was going to finish 1-1. But it's like the Wolves had basically equalised and poked a line with a big stick mm. and angered City. And they just turned it on again. And that was the scary thing. You know, they just they rattled in three goals just in a flash, really. But Dunny's right. Wolves were an example to other teams where you can, you've got to be ambitious, show more ambition yeah. when you play City. 
obviously you don't want to get done five, six, seven nil. Which that's is, the dilemma, isn't it? Yeah. That's the dilemma. Yeah. You know, goal difference for teams can, can be very important come the end of the season. But you've got to you've got to be more dynamic with the ball when you get it. Yeah. I mean, Wolves, when they got the ball, they couldn't they just lost it with straight away. Mm. You've got to, you've got to come up with a plan of Posing a threat when you have the box, you're not going to have it much, so you've got to make the most of it when you do have it. It's very difficult, granted, and they're, you know. Mm. But what was alarming as well for other teams was the one Guardiola was asked about in the build-up to the game the day before. He was asked about, you know, how do you maintain the this, this piece, the strength of mind, the the ambition in the players because they're just reeling off win after win. And he basically said, well, as soon as I see someone whose standards have dropped, they're out of the team. Mm-hmm. It was like if you've been managed by a a manager who's so obsessed with, you know, winning game after game after game, it's quite alarming for the other, the rest of the pack, basically. Yeah, it really is. No, it's he set that up though, didn't he? When he chased for those hundred points after they yeah. clearly won the title a couple of seasons ago, yeah. that was no one was allowed to let up then. And the fact is, it's really easy to drop a player if you feel that he's not quite doing it when you've got someone to replace him, which is a luxury mm. no other managers have. So. You, know, it's you great do need thing. targets, Matt, though, don't you? You really do need targets. I mean, the well, best I mean, thing, you know... When, uh, you know, the, when they won yeah, the in the middle mm. of or beginning of April, he kept them going right to the final whistle to chase those points and everything and got lots mm. of that mentality into the players then. And so now when he needed it to accelerate way over Christmas, you know, they already mm. had that mentality. It's no good winning a game. You've got to win the next one and the next one and the next one and the next one. And like Jeremy said, you know, swap out the players who aren't quite doing it, but that's great. If you've got the backup there ready to slot in, which most... crossing, sorry, come on, yeah, so which most gonna... managers don't have. What would you normally class as a, a really good winning run? Seven, six, seven, eight games for a team. Oh, they've won eight games on the trot. That's a great run. They've won twenty-one straight games, I and mean, it's hard to compute it, isn't it? Really, I, I find well, it, it really is. It's a great shout that because you know, early in the season we were talking, weren't we, about no one's put a. You know, this was fairly. Oh. Yeah, four four game four. winning run because the mm. unique nature of this crazy unprecedented season meant so we were told that no one could be consistent, no one was going to win it by a street, no one was going to kind of dominate because everyone was going to get injured and get fatigued and face all these sort of mental you know issues as well about you know feeling mentally drained uh, because of the unique nature and pressure of the of the season, and yet let's be honest, Man City have embarrassed the rest. I mean, every you know, Liverpool have had their own, you know, um, particular issues, um, mostly at centre-half, and, and and some of that has to come down to sheer bad luck, although then you have to question why they left themselves so short last summer. Um, you know, and, and there's particular issues, so there's no great, you know, I mean, Man United, or again, you can argue, as we have been doing a work in progress, I just think that Man City, and this doesn't deride their achievement at all, are embarrassing the rest, aren't they? That's the point, I think. You know, they're, they're, they're leaving the rest shamed, frankly. But but just finally, I, I, anyone want to take this? Who Liverpool at their best last season before lockdown, when they were sweeping all before them, no one could stop them. They were winning every single week against this Manchester City machine, this current Manchester City machine. Who wins? That's a good one. Um, well, probably Liverpool, I would have thought. Um, you know, if you've got... Well, the one thing I do think about Manchester City is 
is it, their defence quite rightly has, has won a lot of accolades, a lot of sorry um, acclaim this season mm. um, for what they've done, um, and 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 absolutely no problem with that at all. But I do think it's a combination of they're not being as tested as severely as they have been in the past. You know, have has this defence suddenly become with the addition of Ruben Diaz a world beating defence, or basically have they not got much to do? And mm. you know, I, I, I would think that. Um, it's a combination of them both. So if you've got Mane, Firmino and Salah firing on all cylinders and sweeping teams aside, as they did against Manchester City, as they have done against Manchester City, sorry, and as they did to most teams, then that was an incredibly thrilling team at its peak. Then, you know, it's a great game. And and personally, I would back Liverpool in that game. But I mean, it's a, it's, it's a you know, it's a tough imaginary game to play. Yeah, no. The full Anfield makes it, a difference as well, Crossy. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. You know, yeah, City have City have been intimidated downfield down down the years. And um, obviously it was no no coincidence that they obviously they won yeah. there a few weeks ago comfortably, mm-hmm. but it was an empty Anfield and we all we've all been there on noisy noisy days and nights and it makes such a difference. It really does. No, it's a very good point. Just before we finish this section now, we always welcome your questions and there's there's a, um, a few good ones this morning, one about Arsenal, about Leicester, which we'll come on to. But Gary Wally asks um, basically, did, did just a final thought on Man United about Van der Beek. Shouldn't shouldn't he play more? And I do find it bizarre that basically it's it's a, it's a strange one, isn't it? Because Van der Beek was was one of the outstanding players of that wonderful Ajax team. He's clearly an incredibly talented player. Isn't it a manager's responsibility to make a huge multi million pound asset work? Yeah. Yeah. Now look, the, 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 there are stories, or there were stories during the rounds at United when they signed him that he wasn't Solskjaer's signing, that it was that Woodward, right. Ed Woodward wanted to sign him more than Ollie did. And that's that would make sense when you've seen what's happened over the last six months because this is a player who who um, was, like you say, was instrumental in that wonderful Ajax side that's now been dismantled because all the players have gone elsewhere. But, you know, we saw him play for Holland, um, if that player is good enough to get in the Holland midfield, then why is he not good enough to play for Man United? Because mm. let's be honest, that midfield that United have, remember Pogba's been injured for the last few weeks. He's not he's not yeah. even he's not even got to get in front of Pogba. Pogba's created space in that midfield for someone to come in. McTominay, like we mentioned before, we've got McTominay, Fred, Matic in that midfield. If they are all better options than Van der Beek, yeah then it, it, it's baffling to me, baffling. Yeah, and it, it, it does scream of what Jeremy just said, it does scream of him not being Solskjaer's, you know, um, signing, of him, him not fancy. I mean, Van der Beek, listen, we, strange enough, we probably haven't, because he's had his opportunities have been that limited, we probably haven't seen enough of him on a consistent basis to make a judgment of whether or not, you know, he, he's a United player of the future or whether he can be a crucial player for them going forward. I don't know. He might be better in big games than Bruno Fernandes. It's embarrassing, yeah. isn't it? I mean, it's half, embarrassing. half being flippant there, by the way. But yeah, I, think, I do know what you mean. Half, my, half mind you. But those people who do say that maybe in big games, Bruno Fernandes, you know, doesn't quite make the impact that he should, let's put it that way. Well, they're getting more and more, um, what's to say, grist to their mill, aren't they? 
Yeah. Oh, well, I, I would I'm say sure Roy, Hodge, Roy Hodgson will be flattered that you think Crystal Palace is such a big game. And I have to say, I say that with no sarcasm, <laughs> I was, because I, I, was, I, I, I was only referring to the Chelsea game more than the Palace game, to be honest with you. But there you go. <laughs> Um, but I just, um, uh, you know, it's, it's, yeah, I, I do know what you mean. Although I have to say, I'm going to use this opportunity to write a, a continual love letter to Roy Hodgson, who I think does a remarkable job at Crystal Palace. Um, he's got lockdown hair. He, he needs his haircut in lockdown. Yeah, he? He, 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 he does. He does. But I just, I just think he's, I, I can't talk what's going to happen. I don't but, know what's going to happen with Roy Hodgson at the end of the season, but I half think now, will he go? And if he, if he goes, then I really, um, uh, you know, then I really think we should uh, sort of kind of give him the send off that he deserves because he's made him, he and Steve Parrish have made Crystal Palace a really strong Premier League team, a solid outfit, a solid football club. And I think sometimes that goes under the radar when they occasionally flirt during the season with a bit of a relegation scrap, but they never get sucked in. They won't go down. And I think Bristol Palace have long been established. And I, I think, frankly, I think people would do well to remember Alton and Alan Kerbishley. But anyway, but there you go. That's my that's my rant yes. over. We were getting some lovely messages. We must yes. uh, must say Annie, Annie Horton there saying, "Great to hear you all miss Sunday supplement too." But um, but Annie. You're you're always welcome on here. So um, I, I let, let's move let's move on, um, guys. And a very interesting point this week has been a lot of talk again about referees. Um, I mean, listen, it was thrown into new uh, light, wasn't it? Again, about the uh, after the uh, Hudson Odoi alleged handball at Stamford Bridge. Um, you know, I was surprised, frankly, that Luke Shaw. You know, didn't didn't you know get charged by the FA? I have to say, I was very surprised at that. I, I think referees would be disappointed, but um, I think it was deemed as a secondhand conversation. Um, you know, there's been talk this week about sort of you know should managers uh, sorry should referees be mic'd up so we can uh, we can hear you know from a broadcast sense so we can hear every word they say. Um, it's not, I spoke to a few referees this week, actually, on, on something, and they're adamant and insistent that basically the top-level standards have never been better. I, I don't know where where you all stand on that. It's an, it's an IFAB meeting tomorrow uh, where the sort of latest instalment on the handball comes up again. What, what do we think, guys, with, with referees? Are we... We re- I mean, Lee Mason last weekend at the Hawthorns, al- although, you know, the media didn't cover itself in glory when the co-com and it didn't seem to know that basically you could, couldn't re- re-hit the ball if you if you basically, uh, if you hit the woodwork with it, um, which, was, which wasn't which was a great look. What do we think? Oh, referees, are we, are we making too much of this? Should we be able to question, you know, without fear of them, you know, getting, getting, some, getting some stick over it on social media? Well, I mean, it all seems a bit... Swirling think, mess, Jeremy, doesn't it? Or Matt, sorry. Uh, yeah, I was going to come in there. Um, I mm, think the problem sure. with referees, and it's always been a problem, is we don't get to hear from them between the games. All we ever get to see them is when they've made a big blunder um, yeah. uh, and we're under scrutiny. We don't see them in between. We don't see them managing games really well. We don't get to see positive refereeing as much as we should. And we don't get to meet the people who are making these decisions. So they become pantomime villains. Yeah, they're two-dimensional characters. Actually, you say you've been speaking to referees this week. If you do speak to referees and have that that honour, because it does feel like trying to get in touch with royalty sometimes because (laughs) they're hidden behind so many layers of protection. Um, They're they're really... I've always found them really impressive people who 
have got to the top of their profession because they're really good at handling people on the park, handling people, handling Sunday league footballers, handling lower league footballers, managing situations when they've not got 15 cameras on them, actually getting a, a decision on the park that everyone's happy with so that everyone has a good game of football uh, and you move on. And that's that's their history of their involvement in the game. And then they suddenly get to the Premier League and all you see is these VAR scrutinised decisions, which are, are minuscule decisions. Um, the line, uh, the assistant referees in particular, some of their offside calls, no one says, actually, do you know what? 95% of those are right, it seems. Mm, really, mm. some of those silly crosshair decisions, actually, the assistants are calling those right as often as not. That's how good they are. Uh, and, and I think the problem we get is, if they do involve themselves in any sort of banter, like it seems to have happened with Luke Shaw, you know, you can imagine it's a throwaway sort of comment that the referee may have made. Well, that's him being human and actually understanding what's going on in the game uh, and what the game's about. He seemed to go across to the monitor on that incident, determined to say, right, I'm just going to have a quick look and see if I've dropped one. And if I have, we'll sort it out. If I haven't, I'm not going to change my decision. He didn't seem mm. to be interested in scrutinising a technical detail of whether, a, you know, some his little pinky got to the ball first or whatever it, it was one of those have i have i made a glaring error no i can't see anything there that screams penalty at me let's carry on and, and if that's the message that referees are getting this week then perhaps we should know that and perhaps understand why referees are doing i think mikey our referee i think referees mics up in rugby helps everybody i can't you know see anything i know there's going to be mm. issues as we've alluded to before um with harry Maguire and uh Marcus Rashford having to mind their P's and Q's a little bit more. Um, but but I think it helps everyone understand why decisions are being made. Uh, and and actually, you can say, well, no, actually, you've got a point. And if you hear that live, the reasoning that's gone into a decision, it helps you see it in the way that it's being seen on the pitch as it happens in the context of the game. And it's just the fact that all we get is these, these figures um, paraded in front of us every week and chosen to rule on your team that don't have any sort of personality that we know of uh, and and are just there to be booed and hissed at. And and I think the Premier League don't do themselves any favour on that. And that skittles down then to the guy who turns up to the Sunday League game, who again, you don't know, but you mm. understand him to be this guy that can be, you know, knocked as a figure of fun and, and just criticised willy-nilly as some sort of two-dimensional cartoon character. Uh, and, you know, as soon as we start seeing them as human beings, I think think the better. Thing yeah, is, it's interesting. I saw Jeremy, I saw you, you, you nodding away in agreement there about well, sort yeah. of kind of the mic, miking up there. It's an interesting... My worry about that, just to play devil's advocate and that, is that basically we only want to hear referees after they've made a mistake. And it's, it would, again, almost like be putting them in the stocks and throwing rotten fruit at them, you know, sort of thing, really. It's almost to catch them out. Or do you see it as a positive? Well, we've got to a point now where referees are well, very well paid. They make mm. decisions that can change games, affect clubs deeply because, you know, you get to the odds end of a season and you see decisions that can cost a club relegation. So, you know, they are an integrable, as integral to the game on a Saturday and a Sunday or midweek as the players are. So, mm. well, like it or not, they've put themselves in that position. And if you see something happen, like with Lee Mason or Atwell um, at uh, Stamford Bridge last weekend, why why are they allowed to, to go on the field, referee a game, 
and then just disappear for another week. Why, why are they not being made to, to explain, not, not apologise, but just explain how they reach a specific decision? What was interesting to me was earlier this week where we're changing sports now, but there was a French referee called, I've written his name down, um, Pascal Gasquez, who refereed oh, the England-Wales game in the Six Nations at Cardiff on um, last Saturday. And he made a couple of pretty big mistakes in, uh, in that game and Wales won the game comfortably in the end. And he came out a couple of days later and basically said, I hold my hands up, I've got, I got those, I've looked, looked back at what happened and I've got those decisions wrong. And I thought, fair play to you, mate. You know, you've come out and faced the music and, that, and we never hear from these referees. They basically hide behind a wall of silence and I don't think it's right because there's such an important factor in a game this should be made to explain um, what, how they reach decisions. Yeah, he gains respect from that, doesn't he, Andy? From, from speaking out, from being honest. The, the, not the really, I, there, doesn't he? No, no, I, I couldn't disagree more with the lads. I could not disagree more. <laughs> I doubt, why on earth should they have to explain themselves? As long as they make their decision honestly. Jeremy says yeah. they're, they're well paid. Listen, they're getting about two grand a week. As a, if they're integral to the game, they're getting two grand a week as opposed to two hundred grand a week. Or whatever, these guys are aren't particularly well paid for all the pressure they're under. And why should they explain it? What do you want? You basically just want them there up on a coconut chai so you so you can throw more mm. more stones at them. It's absolutely ludicrous. They make honest decisions. No one needs to explain to me why that Hudson Adoy, you know, handball wasn't given. It wasn't given because he didn't think it was handball. That's it. Move on. Great. That's mm. it. Neither it was side handball, did it. it. Hmm? But it was handball. It was a penalty. I didn't think it was handball. I wouldn't have given it. No, I didn't referee. think it was. I got so he didn't, didn't think, think it, was. it was. So, so no. it's up to the referee. The referee didn't think it was. I didn't think it was. John no, Clark didn't, didn't think it was. was. You did. Matt no. Dunn might have done. No, and that's I it. Think so, so, so you need one guy to make a decision. He makes a decision. It's an honest decision. Listen, as long as the referees aren't, aren't crooked, then that'll, that'll do for me. They make an honest decision. He made an honest decision. Said, listen, that's my decision. Crack on, lads. Neither of those teams deserved any more than the point they got. Both those teams served up a fairly miserable game of football. That's the issue. The, issue, the referee wasn't the issue. The referee, it's its become an industry. It's become an industry where, you know, I, I watched the game, you were at Jeremy the other night, and, and they're on about VAR giving Laporte offside. Well, the, the linesman gave him offside. I mean, it was as simple as that, you know, and, and he's offside. The linesman gives him offside. Just move on. Unfortunately, we're now got, and listen, we're as much to blame as anyone. Mm. This farcical industry of just, Oh, uh, you know, what's the ref? The minutiae of whether the ref got it right. The idea, why is he going to explain? Apart from, I didn't think that was handball. Andy, I mean, you'll dis- I mean, I mean, I mean that, that's it. What you and and and, that's, and and Donny wants them just to come out. I don't know. We need as if we need no, some character profile of these referees. Andy, can I just explain? I don't want them to come out afterwards. I want them to be mic'd up. In your distinguished playing career, were the good referees the ones that talked to the players, or the ones that didn't talk, to, or just the ones that just whistled? The ones who just gave the right decisions. The one, the, well, the generally, one, the one, but, but explained what decision they well, Why do you need that... explaining it? Do you not know why anyone makes a decision? Do you, have you ever needed a decision explained to you why it was and why it wasn't? The thing is with the, with, with, with the rugby analogy, and I get why people go on about the rugby analogy. However, the rules are slightly more technical. And bear in mind that rugby are also probably trying to explain the rules to people who maybe don't know the man you share the rules. And listen, we've probably got rugby fans amongst us. And if you're sat at a game, are you telling me you can look at rugby and say, can you spot someone who's offside in rugby? No, I get that. Or, yeah. or, or, or whatever. But the fact of the matter is, they need explaining. 
in football, the beauty of football is the rules are startlingly simple. You don't need the rules. If you need a rule explaining to you, then you're not a football fan. Simple as that. What rule would you like me to explain to you, Matt? No, it's this, for instance, uh, well, I'll tell you what, the challenge that that is uh, of both feet off the ground, where one, he gets the ball. Far. Uh, and, but but from a distance in front of the ball, and one where he then catches it. Those don't know. You, you sometimes see those given as, as robust challenges. You sometimes see them as yellow cards. Uh, and I want to know from a referee, well, one, I don't think he was going in with reckless false. So it's, it's play on, no reckless false. You know, I've I've seen the situation. I acknowledge the fact that there is a different call to be made, but the call I'm making is this one, and you carry on. That's all okay, the information. So, so, you need. So, okay, so let's say referee in one game is mic'd up as you want him to be, and he says, "Right, play on, um, no reckless force." And then a similar challenge takes place in another game. The referee's mic'd up. He says, "Right, that's a far reckless force." What would you say? Fair enough. That's okay. You still see the same. Always say and say, "How come he didn't give it?" And he did. And all you've got for your for your trouble is the beauty of. Of, of Mike Dean's voice in your living room. Why on earth do you want Mike Dean's voice in your living room? I just don't know. But I, I, I just feel with refereeing a football match. I, I just feel that having more information that the players get around uh, are, um, are, you know, the ball ricocheted back, what I'm defensive throw, ball hit both players at the same time. You know, that's one of the rules that you can... You're give. watching You're it. You can see it 20 times. Make up your own mind whether it did that or not. All you need to know is referees aren't bent. That's all you need to know. And, and, and it's as simple as that. You, you know, these are guys who know the rules. Clearly, clearly, although he, he, he clearly sort of got it wrong, Lee Mason, in the first instance, he yeah. knew the rules on penalties like some people didn't. You know, it's... it's These guys know the rules. They imply the rules honestly. And they might get it wrong. I don't know. Probably stats show they get it wrong, I don't know, 1% of the time. And, and and yet we're all bleating and saying they should come out in a hair shave, flog themselves in front of us, no, 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 I do don't detention think or whatever. I'm guilty, me a culpit. I mean, what do you want them to do? Come on national television. <laughs> Weep a little tear, have a baggy shirt and say, I'm sorry, that should have been handball. I'm, I'm, I made a mistake. I mean, what do you expect yes, them to do after the game? You yeah, did, yes. Yes, yes Andy. Yes, <laughs> come on, Andy. Andy, Andy, Why don't you Andy, I absolutely and, love and, your and, passion. I love it. Love it. But I, let I, me I, ask I, you I'll this. tell you what, Tony. Where, just, where just, were the just standards? Just down the road standards? here, right? Just, just, just down the road yeah. here. Just, just along there, there's a street called Pillory Street, and they still have. <laughs> it's called a Pillory Street because they've still got the stocks there, mate. Let's get them down there. I actually agree with you. The reason we want to, we, the reason we want referee interviews is because of that nature. And that is my fear. And that is my fear also about the, oh. the, 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 the miking up being broadcast because I do think we, we have a different attitude uh, to referees, although that was slightly exposed, um, uh, you know, last week in the rugby. But let me ask you this, Andy, well, because I actually you, love your passion. I love your views on, on, on referees. Where are the standards? Where are we now with standards? Because I don't think they're as good as, as say, a, you know, the last generation, which was which was Housie, which was Webb, which was Clattenburg. Uh, I, I don't think we're as good now. Of course Where they do we are. stand? Of course they are. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean I, absolutely. I mean, I mean, remember, you know, I mean, Clive Thomas, one of the great referees, you know, given goals, you know, when that court corner was taken, whatever. I mean, Peter Willis sending off um, Kevin Moran, you, you know, when Peter Reid was 40 yards from goal, you know, in that cup final. I don't forget, this was a time when, do you remember the good old days when 
when when we when referees had other jobs, we always you know Peter Willis wasn't just a referee; he was a copper, as you would expect. David Ellery wasn't just a referee; he was a teacher at math school. You know, I mean, no, he wasn't. oh no, okay, you know, same horse, <laughs> different jockeys. Peter Walton <laughs> used to work at Specsavers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you, but you know, they all they all had different jobs, but of course. The standards are good. I mean, the, the, the reason why we probably don't think standards are good is because they are probably under way more scrutiny than they've ever been under, particularly with VAR. Just just quickly, though, on the, um, I mean, half-joking apart on the mic'd up um, fronts, there was, do you remember listening to the, 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 the guy who's now, he's now a referee here in the in the EFL, isn't he? And he got mic'd up in Australia in the A-League. Yeah, I didn't hear What's it. What's his name? Jared or someone? Was it Jared or... I'm sure. I'm sure he's yeah. a referee now in I the know NFL. Australia. They they trialed it quite, and well. they had one game where they trialed it. And I think his name's. Oh, I know. I just escapes me. Someone will look it up, but I think his name's Jaron. And I know he came over here to referee in the AFL. And it, and it, it actually, it actually, it's joking apart, it's actually worked quite well. Well, yeah, you do you know what I, t- I touched on that um, this week with the with the referees chat? Really, it was just that basically. Do you remember the uh, David Ellery one, uh, Millwall Arsenal, when basically Ellery was was mic'd up and Tony Adams gave him an absolute, you know, uh, volleyball yes, yes, of, yes, of, yes. of abuse, which was a classic, wasn't it? And now yes. it was funny to hear actually that I heard Perry Groves talking about that, sort of saying, "Oh, yeah. it's, it's a little bit unfair because we didn't actually know that he was mic'd up." And yeah. uh, I think it was Perry Groves anyway. Forgive me, Perry, if it wasn't, but I think it was. Um, and then basically, um, uh, you know, sort of. And I just, I was just kind of laughing about it because it's just like, well, you know, well, you would have toned it down if you'd known people were listening, and that would have made it. <laughs> you know, I don't know whether they would change their attitude. I suspect they probably would on occasion, but not always because you wrapped up in the moment. Did you see Stephen yeah. Gerrard get sent off last night? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, and, and there he goes up to the referee, you know, pretty much, and then says you were bang out of order, but swears during the time he says you're bang out of order and is sent off, you know. And that really is the stuff that I think you've got to stop more than more than asking referees to come and explain themselves. You know, is, is the is that you just, that is, I mean, managers going on to the pitch, confronting referees, you know, no, no matter how high emotions are running, mind you, I mean, Range is about 120 points clear at the top yeah. of the league, aren't they? And he's still going on a half time saying you're bang out of order. So and I think that's the sort of thing that, that, that needs to be um needs to be stamped out. But yeah, yeah. Let's let's move on, guys, because it, 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 it was interesting this week. This week thrown up more discussion about the Euros, hasn't it? And and, and also England's um twenty thirty World Cup bid, blimey, what you know, a government in a government in supposed crisis, what do they need? Sort of tub thumping World Cup bid. So I, I don't know. What, what do we what do we think, guys? Do, do, do the Euros still take place to, across twelve countries? I mean obviously uh, you know the, the FA and UEFA have been quick to you know of denying in, in uh, over the last few weeks, haven't they? Let alone this week about sort of kind of it being staged in, in England. But well, I mean, can it really be staged? Bearing in mind we've kind of got the the controversy over over club players being released this month for World Cup qualifiers. Klopp says already that Liverpool won't. Is it realistic to have the Euros across twelve countries? Well, I spoke to for this week actually, mm. and um, had a long conversation with someone who works for them, and um, their view seems to be, and I think Matt mentioned this the other week. Um, with the 12 different countries, it gives them a bit of flexibility in terms of um, should the virus have a spike in one particular place, then they can maybe move those games 
to a different country as opposed to picking one country, for example, England, where you are basically put, putting all your eggs in one basket. So I suppose logically mm. that makes sense and no one can predict how this virus is going to go uh, in the next few months. Thankfully, the numbers are coming down, but, you know, new variants seem to be appearing every week. So um, I think they just want to give themselves some flexibility in terms of should should circumstances go against them during the tournament. So I think they seem adamant that the 12 different nations is still on the table. Um, and um, that's where we are. So they're making a decision as late as possible at the end of April, apparently. Um, and we'll know by then. So it's all, look, it's a logistical nightmare, isn't it, for UEFA? Yeah. Whatever they do will be criticised, that's for sure. Uh, we just have to hope that they do uh, give the tournament the best possible chance of, of being a good one. With or without supporters, I mean, it's very unlikely we're going to get masses of supporters there. Maybe that the guy who I spoke to at UEFA said it maybe that the only fans that are allowed to go to games are the local fans mm. um, in that particular place, which obviously makes sense. So, you know, you would get a percentage of supporters inside stadiums. So, you know, I think it'll go ahead. It, it, it'll be very different. Um, mm. And uh, they can't lose the tournament because it's so valuable financially to the smaller associations around around Europe so they rely on it for, for finance so um, and it's their flagship competition so um, it will go ahead it'll just be very different yeah no it's, it's an interesting one and World Cup 2030 high in the sky Matt <laughs> I just think that are we going to what we're going to have five host nations all guaranteed a place in the finals because that's yeah. just seems ludicrous you know yeah. it, it weakened the tournament when we had two hosts in the past because you know it sort of balances the whole thing, and my fear is the only way they'll account for that and allow us to have all the home nations and islands in the at the finals is to suddenly have a forty-team World Cup final. And you're just mm. thinking, oh my goodness, where's this going now? What is the point? You know, it's it's going to last all summer. There'll be so many meaningless games that that I just, I just don't see how that works. And for all the reasons that none of us particularly like a Euro spread over lots of different. Yeah, we, can, we can't all say that, that it's wrong for a major tournament to be spread over 12 tournaments, uh, 12 countries, uh, but it's right for effectively five federations to host. Um, it's a shame because it would be great for us, but I just don't see how it's great for football. You know, it'd be a fantastic party, but but I just think some of the devil is in, there's so much devil in, in the details that I don't think football will benefit. Mm -hmm. No, we'll and it's not point. as it's not as if we're popular, you know, unpopular worldwide or anything like that, you know, <laughs> for, our exactly. sheer, for our sheer English arrogance, you know. But well, there you go. A... But guys, uh, go on. I just, I just want to kind of um, sort of, uh, you know, introduce a couple of um, uh, listener yeah. questions actually, which I referred to uh, uh, sort of earlier on. Really, one interesting one here from um, Ethan Henson: um, Have Leicester got a strong and deep enough squad to make the top four? which is a pressing issue, bearing in mind, just letters, travails of late. Uh, who, wants to, who wants to take this probably, one? Or? Probably not, I think, but, you mm. know, they're, they're obviously missing, they've missed Madison, and now Barnes has unfortunately got a serious injury. So, you know, they yeah. drew last night with Burnley, which um, probably shows mm. you how much they miss those two players. So, no, they probably haven't got a... They, they don't have the strength in depth, but... The teams around them are all t dropping points as well, so yeah. they may well end up in the top four. I mean, they had a great chance last year, didn't they? And mm. they were so poor after lockdown, 
Um, they barely won a game and got lost, lost to Man United in the final game of the season. So they finished in um, in the Europa League. But that's a big one for that for for Rogers because you know it, they they faltered last season despite promising so much. So it's a big big deal. They need they need basically they need yeah. they need to to get their injured players back as soon as possible. Let, yeah, of course. Leicester, Leicester City scored five past Manchester City this season at the Etihad. I mean, that's a, that's all you need to know. I mean, that, that is how remarkable City's run has been. That we forget, we actually forget that Leicester went there and put five past City. I mean, yeah. it, it, it's incredible. But you know what? We I mean, were all that was saying a, then that Pep's lost it. Well, I'm saying, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. Remember, it was five two. But, but you know that that was that was that was one of the great, um, well, one of the most remarkable, one of the most slightly bizarre. Counter-attacking results, and and to me, I, I I totally agree. I mean, they've been really, really um, uh, cursed with injuries. So I, I really feel sorry for them. And in answer to the question, I don't think the squad is quite deep enough for that mm. it, it, to sustain the amount of injuries that they've had. That they've had. But what I would also say is that they are, you know, they're a good team to watch. But in the main, although I suspect last night they, they that this will have been flipped around because they would have been the ones with possession. But you know, they are. They are quite a counter-attacking side. I mean, you know, the game that, that, that was held up as an example of a lot of Liverpool's ills recently was the game that they lost at Leicester, you know, quite recently. But, you know, for most of that game, I could see nothing but a Liverpool winning that game. You know, Liverpool were by far the better side in that game up until Leicester hit them, you know, with those breakaway goals, you know, aided by some Liverpool mistakes. So I do think, for example, a result like, the one against Arsenal probably was not entirely unexpected. Unexpected. I think that I think I think they are. are I'm not saying they're one-dimensional, but the dimension of the counter attack with Vardy up top is important to them. And if a few cogs in that machine, like Madison or Barnes, and you know, are are out of that counter attacking strength, then they've got an issue. And and in simple answer to Ethan's question is, they're probably not strong enough in depth to sustain a challenge amidst the type of injuries that, that they've got at the moment. Do you want to answer the Arsenal Matt, question, Crossy? Well, I was going to say, yeah, I know how much oh, man loves Arsenal. So I was going to ask one from here from Kyle, basically, can Arsenal make the top four? So well, you know, uh, Miles, what, do you, exactly. what do you think, Matt? You know, your affection for, for, for the Emirates. You know, well, Arsenal is one of the three best managers in the world, isn't he? So he's bound, they're bound to finish it's, the top four. Um, no, I don't think they'll be anywhere near the top four. I think they're too flaky. Europe? Europe? Um, well, yeah, I mean, given that City, <laughs> given all the FA Cup and Carling Cup, and sorry, Carabao Cup places are going to be taken, uh, so it might drop down as far yeah. as seventh, then perhaps they'll squeak in, yeah. Um, uh, but they're not, they're not strong candidates. Um, he's too, he doesn't know who his team is. He, I, I'd still think he's a long, long way away from having a strong enough squad. To, to to bear to carry the name Arsenal, you, you just think of where they are now. Some of the players, yeah, they've got some good players, but they've got some players that just don't seem to be gelling right. The midfield's still not strong enough, um, and defensively, they can be good, they can be bad. He's having to play with a three to compensate, which restricts him further forward. It's it's just messy, and and sometimes they can be so badly off it, you just think they're just throwing away points. What seems to be a, a tolerated experiment, while Arteta sorts out what his world-beating team is, but yeah, it just it just feels a bit of a mess at the moment. Crossy, do you think if you wish you'd never asked? Crossy, do you think if they don't get into the Europa League, um, mm. 
next season. Yeah, that could be a good thing. No, I don't. I don't like that theory. I think that it's not been since 95, 96, since Arsenal have been outside of Europe. I don't think it's one of my pet hates is that basically, yes, I can see the benefits, please don't get me wrong, of not having the fixtures. But I think it's ridiculous and patronising and inappropriate for English clubs not to take the Europa League more seriously. And that's what we're talking about, isn't it? I mean, soon we're going to have the European Conference League, you know. So it's, yeah. um, you know, Arsenal's, you know, fall from grace, is, is, frankly, in the last few years, has been quite spectacular. Mind you, punctuated by FA Cups. And believe me, a lot of clubs would, would wish for that. So I'm not deriding the achievement, particularly not from Arteta last season. But I do think that basically from a financial perspective and also, you know, their standing in, in European football, I think it would be a huge miss if they miss out on, on Europe. I think they will. I don't think they'll make it, if, I, if I'm brutally honest. But I still think that, you know, Arteta deserves time and and patience. I'm not sure that all Arsenal managers get that or have got that. And I think that sometimes that could be a bit unrealistic. Arsenal, mid-table. Arsenal? Yeah. It's just unthinkable. <laughs> and that's the bit that I don't get, you know. And and I have to say, it's probably, I can, everyone wants fans back. Of course they do. And, our, you know, Arteta has, has spoken about this in the past, about sort of saying, oh, it's, it's, it's uh, uh, you know, really want the fans and their energy. We miss them. But the other thing about that is that basically when they're, you know, it, <laughs> It's been certain if home defeats this season when, when frankly, the fans would have been in an uproar. Make no mistake about it. He was under the cost before Christmas. He would have been under the cost a lot more if fans had been in. You'd, you'd, Arsenal cannot be in mid-table. I, I think Arteta does a good job. Mid-table's about I right for that season, isn't it? Yeah, well, yeah. I, I don't just... You are where you are, aren't you? This yeah. Year. That's yeah, where well, they well, to be. You know, but best of the week, surely, was Mikel Arteta distancing himself from the Barcelona job. <laughs> I'd just like to announce that I am now distancing myself from a Pulitzer Prize. Okay, chaps? Reports <laughs> <laughs> linking of me with the Pulitzer Prize for literature are untrue. So, I mean, it's like... <laughs> it's great. I'm having that for me, Colm, didn't I? <laughs> I think there's a, bar, there's a, a prospective Barcelona um, it was, uh, it was the Porter, presidential, ca- presidential mm. candidate who, frankly, spends far too much time on But it's just great to hear Miguel say, no, listen, don't worry. It, you know. Don't worry, don't worry, Gunners. I'm Arsenal today and tomorrow. I'm not going to Barcelona. Oh, dear. I, I know. It did. It honestly, it did make me laugh so much so that he said that on a press conference I was on. I have to say, I didn't, yeah. I didn't bother writing it because how can you write that? Come on. Yeah, it's remarkable. Absolutely remarkable. But anyway, but there you go. So listen, guys, I'm going to finish on yeah. in honour of Ian St. John, who is you know, a Liverpool great, frankly, for someone of my generation. And let's put it this way. I have been invited for my, for my first jab. Um, so right. just just i um i uh you know i grew up and basically idolizing saint and greavesy um so just to honor uh ian st john's passing this week and and the great man that he was um i just wanted to finish on our usual and uh, you know final uh funny end slot uh with, with retro tv shows guy what was your favorite and why come on who, who wants to go first my favourite, I always remember as a kid, was remember Run Around? Yes. With oh, Mike yeah. Reed. Mike Reed, yes. yes. It was just the voice, you know, and he went, Run Around Now. And it saw these voices booming oh, out. We're talking and everyone, football. Everyone. Football. Oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, right. Uh, 
Staying in Gravesy? You remember it was pretty good, though, wasn't it? It involved money. No, Levin swap shot when they had, yeah, when they had Frank Frank Stapleton on, I remember. (laughs) That'll work. (laughs) I'll tell you what. Davis. Sorry, yeah. Jamie, I love you. Uh, <laughs> final morning. Uh, let, just moving swiftly back to football. Cup final morning when it was a proper, speaking of cup final swap shop you'd have, yeah. cup final question of sport, the, the full build-up, the coaches arriving, when that when that used to be taken seriously the, uh, on the day of the FA Cup final. That was fond memories of this. Um, meeting the teams in the, in the hotels beforehand. The, the, the big build-up that was always a, a big favourite for for once a year, but uh, yeah. but no, I'm very much the Saint Greaves era. The only, the only one that come close to it uh, when it first started, I think, was when uh, fancy football, uh, yes, yeah, and, and talked about football as well as just being silly. So uh, those yeah. first few seasons of that, um, yeah. were were fantastic as well. Footballers on him. Football, well, I mean, lo- lo- loads and loads of retro memories. I mean, first of all, I mean, St. John, by the way, in St. John, an absolute, you know, you talk about, I mean, people do talk about, you know, his partnership with, with Greavesy, fantastic. But, it, you know, I think everyone's reiterated that to a certain generation of Liverpool fans, the guy was an absolute one of the founding fathers of their success, you know, scored arguably. My dad um, is of that generation and a big Liverpool fan, and, and he, w- he will still describe the 1965 winner in a cup final an extra time against Leeds um, as the greatest goal in Liverpool history, the most significant goal in Liverpool history. You know, it was the first time they'd won the FA Cup and that was important then, you know, when they weren't playing kids' teams and, and whatever. So I think, I think that's important. But, you know, he, 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 that sort of irreverence that he had with, with St. John, you know, a lot of programmes from that, from that, from that era. Do you, do you, I mean, what, I remember football players on um, going on superstars. Remember Kevin Keegan mm. on the superstars? Yeah, Keegan. And it was just great. Can you imagine them? But can you imagine? He was he was playing then. Can you imagine football teams allowing their players to go and do superstars now? Yeah. You know, to go on a bike and go and crash a bike, to go and yeah. do squat thrusts. Yeah. Bro, we should squat thrust with Brian Jacks. Uh, he won it every year. <laughs> he won every year. <laughs> Brian Jacks' his squat thrusts are amazing. Absolutely <laughs> yeah. amazing. You know, I mean, these were sportsmen in their prime going on the TV show and crashing some bags and 50 miles an hour into a wall. Someone posted um, of Kevin I mean, you know what, Keegan. They're not allowed to eat their own food. No, for about three days before a European Cup final, there he was on Superstar. <laughs> oh, in Lamar. On a bike. On a bike. <laughs> trying to sort of on a sort of running track, athletics track, trying to sort really? of beat hey, on a bike and he re- fell off. Oh, it's just amazing. <laughs> Does anyone remember the name of that? Does anyone remember? I'm racking my brain to think of a brief, a show that, that involved journalists in the quiz show. Um, the journalists... I can called, see why it was brief. Oh, what was it called? I think Mick Dennis was one of the hosts. Anyway, you know what? I'm, I'm determined to, find, to remember what that is. But no, um, other things, other things non-football related, as in sports, though, indoor league. That right up Jezza Street, that one. Oh yeah, yeah. Fred Truman. Oh, yeah, oh, I can't remember that. And that was indoor that. sports, so it was like it was bar <laughs> skittles, arm wrestling, and drinking. Absolutely, let's have a pool. Millions. There's a great clip actually. I'm doing the rounds on Twitter of that, and Fred Truman. It was absolutely hilarious to watch. Oh, fantastic. can you retweet that? Like, in the tie and massive. Um, Right, yeah, yeah. Please shirt. retweet that later, please. 
I'll dig it out. I love that. We, we, we will yeah. find that. We'll find that. Maybe we should include Bullseye. But my favourite St. and Greaves memories were just Donald Trump doing the Rumbelows Cup draw. Yeah. I mean, from Trump Towers, <laughs> if you remember that. How on earth did they pull that off to get the future president of the, of the United <laughs> States to do the Rumbelows Cup draw? Astonishing. But then almost Trump in that. Oh, oh, see what I, like I did there. Uh, was uh, Frank, it was basically midway through a TV dispute in the eighties when you had no live football or no uh, highlights from the uh, f- the old first division. Saint and Greavesy went on a walk through London, taking Frank McAvenny, West Ham's new sign from St Mirren, who was you know current top goal scorer in the first division. Walked him around London to say to to people, anyone recognise who this fellow is? Basically, because you know football yeah. wasn't on. And it was such an amazing stunt. Can you imagine them being able to do the same now with, you know, with Sergio Aguero or whoever it might be? It was a brilliant stunt. It was absolute genius. But it shows you, you know, just how times change. I just thought that was, those two incidents were just a, you know, epitomised St. Greasy magic. I, I, I remember when, um, remember that, that news item on Granada News when they, they were just going around the streets of Liverpool asking if anyone of a certain age remembered a certain game. It might have been the 65 final. Oh, yes, sure. I do remember this. And then they asked this bloke, you know, this, he obviously looked to be of a certain age and said, do you remember, you know, this game? What are your memories of this game? Whatever. And he said, memories. I played in it. I was in goal. It was Tommy Lawrence. Remember? The Flying <laughs> <Yeah>. Pig. <laughs> <laughs> it was just unbelievable. Oh, fantastic. Have you seen the recent one where they basically, they are someone in the street and, oh, it's about, it's about Ipswich Town, isn't it? It's about it's about so, and they pull pulling Ipswich player and they sort of say, "Oh, what do you?" This a young Kieran Dyer. Oh right, this is young oh, yeah. Kieran Dyer, and they basically pull him across in the street and say, "Well, you know, what do you make of Ipswich?" And you know, what do you do? And I'm a player, actually. You know, it's amazing. They should serve some reruns of them, shouldn't they? Really? It's oh, it's a great clip, great clips, great clips. Anyway, guys. Fantastic. It was great entertainment. That Sunday supplement was a good show. Do you ever remember that? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was yeah, a throwback, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. What a good show that oh, was. the croissants used to it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so if someone liked to lay on the croissants, we'll be happily sponsored by some croissants. Yes. Um, but, uh, but there you go. Guys, it's been brilliant fun. Thanks so much. We never used to have this much fun on the Sunday supplement. But there you go. Uh, anyway um, but uh, I really appreciate you, you joining it and thanks so much also um, for, for watching and for your questions we'll take more next week and uh, and we'll be back same time same place next week really enjoyed it thanks so much guys Andy love your passion, your passion. <laughs> take care alright cheers <laughs> <laughs>